0: Coming to grips with suffering. This is part four of our series. And in quick review, we have covered already, we've covered five reasons for suffering, why people suffer. And uh, one of them, of course, the first one, the entire reason really, what gets everything going in this direction is the issue of sin, okay? And I'm not talking about necessarily personal sin as I'm talking about the very fact that when Adam and Eve sinned, When Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered the human race and death by sin. And there was a curse put on creation. That is why we are sinners. That is why we get sick. That is why people die. That is why when people die, they're separated from God forever in hell, because if they haven't taken the payment for their sin that Jesus provided by his death, burial, and resurrection of the cross, if they haven't taken that as their own, then they'll never be saved because their sin is not forgiven. But even if you're saved, we still are subject to the effects of sin in the world that's why people kill each other that's why people hate each other that's why people walk all over each other that's why people won't forgive one another that's why there's people beating each other up that's why there's guys driving cars down sidewalks hoping to kill as many people as they as they can it's sin okay it's sin that's why there's so many diseases in the world it's because of sin Next we saw, uh, so that people will turn to the Lord and be saved. Because when you basically are heartbroken, or you don't know where to turn, and you don't know what to do, or maybe you're afraid of dying, and maybe you have a terminal illness, which is because of sin in the world, is there an answer? Yes, the answer is Jesus Christ. The only cure for death is life. And he offers that eternal life, everlasting life, by simply trusting in him as our payment for sin. Then we saw also another reason for suffering was ignorance of God's word. People don't know how to deal with the issues of life. So they make bad decisions and they suffer the consequences of those bad decisions. Very sad. And I'm not talking about necessarily, you know, serial killers and, and people bent on wickedness. I'm just talking about you and me. If you don't know what to do, there's a good chance you'll do the wrong thing. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. See, that person's a well-meaning person. It seems right, but it's not right. See, their thinking has been tarnished. They need the word of God, the word of God. Folks, that's why we are a Christ-centered, Bible-centered church. Listen, people who come to Northland, if people ever ask you, what is your church about? Okay? Do you have a great band? Do you have a light show? Do you have dancers? Do you have, you know, whatever here? No, we don't. What we offer is we offer the living word, Jesus Christ, and we offer the written word, the Bible. That is what we're about, okay? And by the way, if you look at the Bible, if you look at the book of Acts, that's what the church was about in the book of Acts. Jesus Christ and his word. That's what it was about. Not frills, not fancy, not Madison Avenue. Jesus Christ and his word. Listen, you do not see anywhere in the Bible where it says to be a pastor, you have to have a PhD in business or a PhD in marketing or a PhD in this and that. No, what's it say? Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And you look at who God used and you don't see a bunch of people who, you know, if they would have gone to high school, would have been most likely to succeed. In many cases, you see a bunch of losers. But it was the grace of God and the life of those people that made them great. I better keep moving or else I'll never get through today. Number four, we saw another reason for suffering is the result of rebellious living. People who say, no, I don't want God's way. I want to go my own way. I don't care what God says. I don't care what my parents say. I don't care what anybody says. I want my own way. Well, you pay the price then. It's a matter of sowing and reaping. And then we also saw another reason for suffering is the chastening of God, the discipline of God in the life of his children. When we get off track, he can step in and he disciplines us. And yes, it can be painful discipline at times. Now we saw that the word chasten doesn't mean in itself to painfully spank or punish, so to speak. The word simply means to train or to teach. Discipline, okay, is the idea. To instruct. But God does that many ways. And sometimes the way he does it is very painful in the life of his children. Why does he do it? Because he loves us, according to Hebrews, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So it's an act of love. Hey, let me say this, kids. If your parents have to discipline you, they're not doing it because they enjoy it. They're doing it because they love you. They love you and they want you to turn out right. They don't want you to turn out into some sort of an incompetent person of society who's just down and out, who thinks that the world owes them something. But let's move on today. The sixth reason for suffering is this. It starts getting really, really personal, folks, to suppress faith in ourselves, all right? God allows suffering in our lives to suppress faith in ourselves. Now, we're going to be looking at two reasons for suffering today, both of them very closely related, to suppress faith in ourselves. This may not seem to be important to us on the surface, especially when we are introduced into a new experience of suffering, but it is very important from God's perspective because he is God and he wants to be the center of our lives. This is the way he designed it, folks. The Lord did not design people to be independent of him. He designed mankind to be dependent on him. But we have so messed up the mindset and the thinking and have so taught incorrectly people on the issue of how life is supposed to be that when you tell most people this, they will simply laugh and criticize you because they've bought into the lie that they can do a good job of their lives. The truth of the matter is we do not know how incompetent we really are when it comes to handling the issues of life. Now, I'm sorry if that stepped on your toes, but you need to hear it. And I heard it when I wrote this. We are incompetent to handle the issues of life. Oh, not me. Yes, you are. And if you don't think so, friend, it shows how deceived you are. Look at Jeremiah chapter 10 with me. We have already seen this verse, but we'll come back to it over and over at times because it is so important. What it says is so important for us to know. And not only know, but can I say embrace, embrace. Have you ever had uh, maybe when your children were little, I know some people are going through that right now, and a little, little children, maybe two years old, maybe preschool age, or maybe kindergarten age, or whatever. Actually, this would apply for quite a while in a lot of cases. But many times, it's the little, little ones. And they'll say, here. And you'll say, you know, there's a, a thing that maybe, uh, you know, they, they can't figure it out. And, and uh, you'll say, well, here, let me help you. No, I want to do it. Oh, no, I'll do it for you. No, I want to do it. I want to do it. Let me do it. Or me do. Me do. It's a real young one. You know, as a parent, they can't do that. But you say, okay, teaching moment. Go ahead and try. And so they they do whatever and, and they can't do it. Do you need mommy to help you? What happened? They needed to come to the realization that they're incompetent. Now, they wouldn't even know what the word means, but we know, hopefully we know. They can't do it. They're not equipped to do it, okay? And if they do it, they'll make a mess of it. So what do they need? They need mommy or they need daddy to help them do it. Guess what? Saint, we need our heavenly father to help us do it. And he sometimes brings suffering into our lives or allows suffering to come into our lives to drive us to the throne of grace. Father, help. That's my favorite prayer, by the way. Not, oh, thou most gracious one, how wonderful thou art and all, you know, and he kind of, almost do a tribal dance before you ever get to to the prayer part no with me it's help he gets it and what i lacked in words the bible says the holy spirit gets it to the father right isn't that great that's great that's great jeremiah ten twenty three. "O oh lord i know that the way of man is not in himself it is not in man that walketh to direct his steps do you believe that can I tell you this? If you believe it, you'll be here every service because you'll understand. You know what? I need all I can get. Well, I can promise you come, you'll get. Let's say you are a believer and you are to some extent desiring to walk with the Lord. You, you do want to serve the Lord. You want to do what's right. We oftentimes think, if that's our mindset, we oftentimes think that everything's going to go smoothly if we walk with him. But there are times, folks, that the Lord either brings or allows things to come into our lives. Sometimes those things are devastating. Sometimes those things are a a scary prognosis. Sometimes those things are a terrible injury. Sometimes there's incredible pain in the sense of not only physical, but emotional pain. Something takes place. Sometimes there's a loss that devastates, such as a sudden death of a spouse, devastates. You might say, where's God in that? Well, he hasn't moved. He's still there. Do you know what he's wanting? He's wanting us to beeline to the throne of grace. And with everything we have, pour our hearts out to him. Father, please help me. Please help me. What is that? You know what that is? That's faith. Isn't it interesting? Hebrews tells us without faith, it is impossible. To please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is God and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He wants us to learn to run to him instead of ourselves. It's not natural for us to run to God. Did you know that it's not natural? But it's God's way. We have to learn it. Yet this is the way he designed life to be. Turn with me over in the Old Testament to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8 in verse 2 is where we'll look at it. We'll begin. It says, uh, here's Moses talking to the children of Israel. And he says in um, chapter 8 verse 2, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness, watch this, to humble thee and to prove thee, test you, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no, And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know. Now why did he do that? Why did God work in that way in their lives? Read on. That he might make thee know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Okay? God brought you through these situations, these trials, these testings to do what? To suppress faith in ourselves and to drive us to the Lord. You might say, well, can't he do it a less painful way? That's up to him. It's up to him. I wouldn't doubt that he would if he could accomplish the same thing. But he knows every one of us. You know, sometimes it would seem like there are some believers who are more carnal than others who live in the flesh more than others. And yet sometimes those who you know, well, I mean, you just kind of, you're thinking, you know what, one of these days, God's just going to lower the boom on that person. But it's interesting because we don't see it. Instead, we start seeing him lowering the boom on us. It's a wait a minute, Lord, I'm trying to please you with my life. I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to honor you. You know what, folks, don't even question it. God is the one who looks at the heart. God knows every child better than that child knows himself. And he knows exactly when and what is needed in that life. And it varies. Each of us varies. I try not to even go there anymore. One man said this, the vine clings to the oak during the fiercest of storms. Although the violence of nature may uproot the oak, Twining tendrils still cling to it. If the vine is on the side opposite the wind, the great oak is its protection. If it is on the exposed side, listen, if it is on the exposed side, the tempest only presses it closer to the trunk. In some storms of life, God intervenes and shelters us, while in others, He allows us to be exposed so that we will be pressed more closely to him. Proverbs chapter three. Would you go there with me? To suppress faith in ourselves. This is one of the reasons for suffering, to suppress faith in ourselves. Proverbs chapter three in verse five. You might say, oh, I know this verse. Yeah, you know what? Let's pretend that you don't. Let's pretend that we don't. Let's think about it like it's the first time we've ever seen it because we need to see scripture that way. When? Every time. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Faith in ourselves. In all thy ways, all thy ways, acknowledge him, he shall direct thy paths. When we trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, that's exactly where he wants us because faith is what pleases him. Trusting in the Lord with all of our hearts should be the life walk of the believer. Now, again, as I've already mentioned today, this is not natural. And can I say, folks, if we don't learn and give ourselves to this issue of learning how to walk by faith, our lives will be a mess. They're going to be up and down and up and down and up and down. Now, that doesn't mean if you, we learn to walk by faith, there won't be problems. But this issue is a big deal with God. For whatever reason, you know, we're so fickle. For whatever reason, we say, "Oh, can't you get it through your head, salvation's only by faith in Christ? You can't do anything to be saved, but put your trust in the Lord. Trust in Christ as your Savior, and then you're saved. The way of salvation's the way of faith. Can't you get that through your head? We say to somebody, probably not most people, probably our brothers and sisters, you know how that goes. It's a whole different language level with brothers and sisters. But yet, you know what? We'll say that. And then when it comes to the Christian life, our faith is not in Christ like it was when we got saved. Our faith is in ourselves. We have to learn as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord. So walk in him by faith in his word. That's how we received him, right? How are we supposed to walk? By faith in his word. We have to learn that though, because it doesn't come naturally. By the way, we are to walk by faith and not by sight. But but what does that mean? Let me say this today. To walk by faith is not to walk by feelings, but faith in the Lord and his word. To walk by faith is not to walk by feelings, but faith in the Lord. And His Word—that's the walk by faith. We trust in Him. We trust the Word, and we live accordingly. That's what it means to walk by faith. It's not this. Oh, you know what? Oh, Jesus, please, please, Jesus, be real to me. Oh, oh, yeah, I feel Him. Oh, I feel Him. Probably not. If that's you're pursuing feelings, don't pursue feelings, folks. Don't judge the reality of Christ in your life by how you feel. Judge it by what God has said. We walk by faith, not feeling. Okay? So, he does it to suppress faith in ourselves. He wants us to learn to run to him instead of ourselves. It's not natural for us to do that. But also, you know what He sometimes he has to do? Sometimes he has to humble us deeply to get us to do that. 1 Peter chapter 5 In verse 5, it says this, Likewise, younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Listen, and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We are to live the Christian life by the grace of God. Yet, you know what? God's grace is not going to be manifested in our lives We are not going to be enjoying and living by the benefits of the grace of God as long as we are trusting in ourselves and walking independently of him. That's pride. That's arrogance. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Then Peter says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And how does that humility, how do you put feet on that? Next verse, casting all your care upon him. For he careth for you, casting all your care upon him. To suppress faith in myself. Lord, I don't have the answer. I don't have the way. As the hymn writer said, I need thee every hour. Help me learn. Watch what you pray. Help me learn how to walk with you moment by moment. Ouch. You know what? That's a loaded request. Because that's not just a matter of picking up some verse in the Bible. If we really want to learn, oh, he'll teach us. But there are some real trials and testings coming down the road to help us learn that. It's a big deal, as I mentioned earlier, to the Lord that we are trusting in him, not in ourselves. Jesus said in John 15 when he was talking to his disciples, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Then what does he say? For without me you can do nothing. He didn't say, if you're not saved, you can't do anything. He's talking to saved people there. You need to abide in me. You need to walk in fellowship with me. You need to live in submission to me. That's the idea of abiding in Christ. To remain in a given place, the Greek word, "meno" To remain in a given place, to be stationary, to continue there. Paul understood it. He said in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Okay? Let me give you another truth here. Paul was an example of one who had to learn not to trust in his abilities. He was a very honest man. By the way, he was a talented, gifted man, even before he was saved. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You might say, you know what? I've, got a, I've been suffering something, and no one knows about it but God. Or no one knows about it except my spouse or my family. They're the only ones who know, and I've really been suffering on this. Well, hopefully we're learning something today that's gonna be a benefit to us. I can tell you this, if you don't get anything else out of the message today, get this, maybe the suffering is there because God is teaching you to not trust in yourself, but to trust in him. He's driving you to his throne of grace through the difficulty through the burden of the suffering that you're going through now you know some people would say and i understand it i understand it we're human some people would say this i resent that that doesn't sound like a loving god to me oh but it is he is a loving god it's just that his thinking is deeper than ours see he's looking not only right now he's looking long term he understands you know what if you don't learn to walk by faith in me Your goose is cooked. This is important. Paul was an example of one who had to learn not to trust in his ability. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Paul had an experience from the Lord. He was caught up to the third heaven. He experienced things other people did not. Now, I don't know his heart. Only God knew his heart. But what God did to teach him humility, to teach him faith, to make him the great man of God that he was. And I don't think any of us would deny he was a great man of God. What God did was he brought something into his life. It was a form of suffering. And that form of suffering was to teach him many lessons. By the way, he did what every good Christian should do. He went to the Lord with it. And he prayed. And he prayed. And he prayed. And God said this, I'm not gonna lift it. You're gonna have to live with it. You know what a lot of Christians would do? Walk away in bitterness. But Paul learned the lesson God was trying to teach him during that time. He didn't become bitter. He became better. Look at it. 2 Corinthians twelve seven. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. We do not know what the messenger of Satan was. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, God said unto him, watch this, my grace is sufficient for me. You notice God didn't say to him, oh, quit being a a crybaby. Grow up. No, listen, folks, when God brings something into our lives, he knows exactly what we're feeling about it. He knows exactly how much it knocks us off our feet. He knows exactly how many tears we shed over that difficult thing. But the lesson he's teaching us is bigger than that. You might say, well, those things are big to me. No doubt. And God knows that. God knows your heart. God knows my heart. But the lessons he's teaching us are bigger than that. Here it is. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, Paul says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul said, you know what? As hard as this is, I've gone to the Lord three times with it. He says, I'm not taken away because my grace is sufficient. By the way, how do we experience the grace of God? By faith, by faith, by trusting in him. Can I put it this way? It's not theological, but We activate the grace of God in our lives. We access the grace of God. That's theological. That's um, Romans 5.3. We access the grace of God by faith. We get the benefits of it. We experience the benefits of it. But you see, that thorn in the flesh made Paul trust in the Lord. And as he did, look what it says, the power of Christ rested upon him. Why did Paul accomplish so much for Christ? It's because the power of God was resting upon him. And how did it come? He went through a lot of trials, a lot. And look at what he says then. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Look at that. When I am weak, then am I strong. You might say, Uh, How can you be strong when you're weak? It's because in his weakness, he sought God. He sought the Lord, okay? That's how. His weakness, his trials drove him to the throne of grace. And God was more than happy to help him. Very much related to this reason for suffering is our seventh reason, which I'm only going to state. We'll pick this up next week. To demonstrate the power of God. In our lives now I'll couple these next week. All right when we get into this a little bit more I want you to go with me over to romans chapter 3 Romans chapter 3 turn there with me You could be here today and you're thinking You know, I need help. I need help You may be here and you may be thinking you know what this is really convicting to me because That's kind of the story of my life to this point. I've simply gone my own way I don't have a clue I know my life has got problems, and if you're honest, they're probably a mess, but we don't like to state it that way. I need help. Listen, God is there to help you, and you know where it begins? It begins with what the Bible calls salvation. It begins with something that we call the gospel. The word gospel means good news. That's what it means, good news. Now, if you've never understood the gospel, you're not a child of God yet, you may be a creation of God. You're not a child of God yet. And until you're a child of God, God is not going to be working in your life the same way he will in the lives of his, child, of his children. You want to be a child of God? Can I share with you how to do that today? Look with me to Romans 3 in verse 23. It says this, "...for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus." whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Look up here. Let me explain to you what this is about. We're all sinners. This hand represents you and me. Let this wallet represent our sin. We're all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. The glory of God, the perfection of God, okay? We all fall short of that. Why? We are sinners. Now, the Bible says heaven's a perfect place, and for you to get in, you have to be sinless. Not one lie, not one sin can enter heaven. That disqualifies every person on the planet. We're sinners. Not only that, but God says our sin must be paid for. If I am going to pay for my sin, I'll have to suffer forever, separated from God in hell. That's what the Bible says. God doesn't want that for me. God loves me. He hates our sin. Sin separates us from him. This sin has to be gone for me to get into heaven. So what am I going to do? Well, good works won't do it. Okay, good works won't do it. You notice it says in verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. What is that talking about? Verse 25, God hath set forth Christ, Jesus Christ was a propitiation. Now don't let that word scare you. The word propitiation simply means a satisfactory payment. A satisfactory payment. Here's what that's about. Because there's nothing we could do to save ourselves. Our good works won't do it. Going to church, being baptized, becoming a member of the church here. That won't do it. Sin has to be gone. How are we going to get rid of it? That's where Jesus Christ comes in. Because there's nothing we could do to save ourselves, God took on flesh This is Jesus Christ, sinless. And when Jesus died on the cross, he made the satisfactory payment for our sins. In that he paid for all of our sin, past, present, and future when he died. He was buried, he rose again the third day. And the Bible says that if we will put our faith, our trust in him, that he made that payment for us, that satisfactory payment, that propitiation. If we'll trust in him that he made that payment for us, the moment we do, our sins are taken away, they're forgiven, and God gives us everlasting life. And you become a child of God. You are declared righteous by God himself. You might say, what does it cost me? Nothing. Look at verse 24, being justified freely, freely by his grace. Oh, I heard recently some higher up Calvinists notorious Calvinist and he's written a book having to do with the cost of getting to heaven that it's going to cost you it's a high price you have to pay no 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 we don't pay any price Jesus paid the price he offers us salvation freely by his grace grace is unmerited undeserved favor when you trust in Jesus Christ the savior it's all you have to do trust in him as your savior the moment you do your sins are forgiven he gives you everlasting life and god says you are righteous i declare you as righteous that moment you become a child of god have you ever trusted jesus christ as your savior you can know you're going to heaven today if you'll put your faith in him the bible says you can be sure of that would you today trust in jesus christ to get you to heaven when you do you become a child of god how wonderful is that friends that concludes this edition of voice of assurance thanks so much for listening and would you share this ministry with a friend to contact us or learn more about our ministry please visit www.northlandchurch.com your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated thank you so much and god bless you